Lads and ladies, welcome to the Junior Classics. Hi there, I'm Sir Bradley Hassey, a teller of borrowed tales. Join me as I share stories of courage, adventure, and wonder. But don't take my word for it. You can find out for yourself on today's Junior Classic. Hello there, Junior Scholars. My name is Sir Bradley Hassey, guardian of the written word and your guide through the Junior Classics. We do three things here, entertain, educate, and edify. Our mission is to inspire children and families with a love of good reading and a real and lasting interest in Western literature, history, and scholarship. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us, and a very special thank you to my loyal listeners who tune in each and every episode. We took a break last week to install some studio upgrades. I also produced a video introducing myself and the reasons why I started the podcast and what I hope to achieve. There will be more videos to come with the purpose of getting to know the parents of my listeners better. I want to make you aware of our new website, beautifully designed by my wife, Melanie, at JuniorClassicsPodcast.com. Please visit. Now that I have the recording process down, our next step is to grow the show by letting others know what we created. The number one thing you can do for us is to help share the show with friends and families. Send them a link of the show and let them know how good it has been for your kids and your family. Okay, last week's story was The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, and we learned how jealousy can lead to bad decisions and the triumph of good over evil. Go back and give it a listen if you missed it. This week's story is The Fair One with Golden Locks by Miss Mulak, who also brought us the story of Cinderella back on episode 12. I thought this might be a version of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, or at least something having to do with Goldilocks. But it is his own story, and a really good one I had never heard before. I'm really enjoying exploring these stories right along with you. I'm discovering more and more that most of these stories we've read so far were not written by any one person. In this case, Miss Mulak, like others, went out and collected the most popular fairy tales of her day from many nations. She then compiled them into one book. She adapted some, retold others, and some are credited to specific authors. Today's story comes from a collection she called The Fairy Book which was published in 1863. According to my research, the original version was written by Madame d'Illinois of France in 1697 and was called The Story of Pretty Goldilocks. But before we read the story... Lost and found words! Listen carefully to the meaning of these words and try and spot them during the story. We have quite a few today. We have eight, but they're all very simple. So our first one is equipage. An equipage is simply a horse-drawn carriage. The king in the story sends a magnificent equipage or horse-drawn carriage on a journey. Next, we have malicious, which means mean. There are some mean or malicious people who tell on the hero of the story. Secured means helped. A raven is very thankful 
that the hero secured or helped him in time of need. Then we have carp. A carp is just a type of fish. Then there is greensward, which means an area of green grass. A carp jumps out of the water to catch bugs, but accidentally jumps so far that he jumps out of the water onto a greensward or a grassy area. Then we have recompense, which means to repay. An owl promises to recompense or repay the hero for his help. Lastly, we have mean, which means personality or the appearance of. The hero and prince in the story has the mean or appearance of grace and dignity, just like a nobleman should. Okay, listen up, junior scholars. I'm starting something new this week. If you send a video of you using a lost and found word in a sentence to the Junior Classics Facebook page or Instagram, I, Sir Bradley, give you my word that I will call out your name on the next episode and celebrate your achievement for all the world to hear. You can also send a video to juniorclassicspodcast at gmail.com. Now, on to the show! I want you to imagine that you are a fine young lad that is working for the king of the land, wherever that may be. The king has decided that he wants something for himself, and he wants it now. He wants it so bad that it is all he can think about. He thinks about it so much that he can barely remember to eat or drink. So finally, the king must have this thing. But instead of going himself, he decides to send you, my junior scholar. The king orders you to go out into the world on a long journey to bring back this most desired thing to him. What is this thing the king wants? It is the most beautiful princess in all the land, and he hopes she will return with you and become his wife. You see, instead of the king going to pursue the beautiful princess with golden hair, he is sending you his faithful servant. Now I hope by now you are asking yourself, why isn't the king going himself if he wants to marry her so bad? Excellent question, dear listener. You know, I don't think this is going to go well for the king, but there is only one way to find out. The Fair One with Golden Locks there was once a king's daughter so beautiful that they named her the fair one with golden locks. These golden locks were the most remarkable in the world, soft and fine, and falling in long waves down to her very feet. She wore them always thus, loose and flowing, surmounted with a wreath of flowers. And though such long hair was sometimes rather inconvenient, it was so exceedingly beautiful, shining in the sun like ripples of molten gold, that everybody agreed she fully deserved her name. Now there was a young king of a neighboring country, very handsome, very rich, and wanting nothing but a wife to make him happy. He heard so much of the various perfections of the fair one with golden locks, that at last, without even seeing her, he fell in love with her so desperately that he could neither eat nor drink, and resolved to send an ambassador at once to demand her in marriage. So he ordered a magnificent equipage, 
more than a hundred horses and a hundred footmen, in order to bring back to him the fair one with golden locks, who he never doubted would be only too happy to become his queen. Indeed, he felt so sure of her that he refurnished the whole palace and had made by all the dressmakers of the city dresses enough to last a lady a lifetime. But alas, when the ambassador arrived and delivered his message, either the princess was in bad humor or the offer did not appear to be to her taste. For she returned her best thanks to his majesty, but said she had not the slightest wish or intention to get married. She also, being a prudent damsel, declined receiving any of the presents which the king had sent her, except that, not quite to offend his majesty, she retained a box of English pins, which were in that country of considerable value. When the ambassador returned, alone and unsuccessful, all the court was very much affected, and the king himself began to weep with all his might. Now, there was in the palace household a young gentleman named Avenant, beautiful as the sun, besides being at once so amiable and so wise that the king confided to him all his affairs. And everyone loved him, except those people, to be found in all courts, who were envious of his good fortune. These malicious folk heard him saying gaily, If the king had sent me to fetch the fair one with golden locks, I know she would have come back with me. Repeated the saying in such a manner that it appeared as if Avenant thought so much of himself and his beauty and felt sure the princess would have followed him all over the world, which when it came to the ears of the king, as it was meant to do, irritated him so much that he commanded Avenant to be imprisoned in a high tower and left to die there of hunger. The guards accordingly carried off the young man, who had quite forgotten his idle speech and had not the least idea what fault he had committed. They ill-treated him very much, and then left him with nothing to eat and only water to drink. This, however, kept him alive for a few days, during which he did not cease to complain aloud, and to call upon the king, saying, O king, what harm have I done? You have no subject more faithful than I. Never have I had a thought which could offend you. And it so befell the king, coming by chance, or else with a sort of remorse, past the tower, was touched by the voice of the young Avenant, whom he had once so much regarded. In spite of all the courtiers could do to prevent him, he stopped to listen and overheard these words. The tears rushed into his eyes. He opened the door of the tower and called, Avenant! Avenant came, creeping feebly along, fell at the king's knees and kissed his feet. Oh, sire, what have I done that you should treat me so cruelly? You have mocked me and my ambassador. For you said, if I had sent you to fetch the fair one with golden locks, you would have been successful and brought her back. I did say it, and it was true. For I should have told her so much about your majesty and your various high qualities, which no one knows so well as myself, that I am persuaded that she would have returned with me. I believe it, said the king, with an angry look at those who had spoken ill of his favorite. He then gave Avenant a free pardon and took him back with him to the court. After having supplied the famished youth with as much supper as he could eat, the king admitted him to a private audience and said, 
I am as much in love as ever with the fair one with golden locks. So I will take thee at thy word and send thee to try and win her for me. Very well, please your majesty. I will depart tomorrow. The king, overjoyed with his willingness and hopefulness, would have furnished him with a still more magnificent equipage and suite than the first ambassador, but Avenant refused to take anything except a good horse to ride and letters of introduction to the princess's father. The king embraced him and eagerly saw him depart. It was on a Monday morning when, without any pomp or show, Avenant thus started on his mission. He rode slowly and meditatively, pondering over every possible means of persuading the fair one with golden locks to marry the king. But, even after several days' journey toward her country, no clear project had entered into his mind. One morning, when he had started at break of day, he came to a great meadow with a stream running through it, along which were planted willows and poplars. It was such a pleasant, rippling stream that he dismounted and sat down on its banks. There he perceived, gasping on the grass, a large golden carp, which in leaping too far after gnats had thrown itself quite out of the water and now lay dying on the greensward. Avenant took pity on it, and though he was very hungry and the fish was very fat and he would well enough have liked to have it for his breakfast, still he lifted it gently and put it back into the stream. No sooner had the carp touched the fresh cool water than it revived and swam away. But shortly returning, it spoke to him from the water in this wise. Avenant, I thank you for your good deed. I was dying, and you have saved me. I will recompense you for this one day. After this pretty little speech, the fish popped down to the bottom of the stream, according to the habit of carp, leaving Avenant very much astonished, as was natural. Another day he met with a raven that was in great distress, being pursued by an eagle, which would have swallowed him up in no time. See how the stronger oppress the weaker. What right has an eagle to eat up a raven? So taking his bow and arrow, which he always carried, he shot the eagle dead, and the raven delighted perched in safety on an opposite tree. Ah! Avenant, you've generously secured me, a poor miserable raven. I am not ungrateful, and I will recompense you one day. Thank you said Avenant, and continued his road. Entering in a thick wood, so dark with the shadows of early morning that he could scarcely find his way, he heard an owl hooting, like an owl in great tribulation. She had been caught by the nets spread by birdcatchers to entrap finches, larks, and other small birds. What a pity that men must always torment poor birds and beasts who have done them no harm. So he took out his knife cut the net, and let the owl go free. She went sailing up in the air, but immediately returned hovering over his head on her brown wings. Avenant, at daylight the birdcatchers would have been here. I should have been caught and killed. I have a grateful heart. I will recompense you one day. These were the three principal adventures that befell Avenant on his way to the kingdom of the fair one with golden locks. Arrived there, he dressed himself with the greatest care, in a habit of silver brocade, 
and a hat adorned with the plumes of scarlet and white. He threw over all a rich mantle, and carried a little basket, in which was a lovely little dog, an offering of respect to the princess. With this he presented himself at the palace gates, where even though he came alone, his mien was so dignified and graceful, so altogether charming, that everyone did him reverence, and was eager to run and tell the fair one with golden locks, that Avenant, another ambassador from the king, her suitor, awaited an audience. Avenant? Hm, that is a pretty name. Perhaps the youth is pretty too. So beautiful that while he stood under the palace window, we could do nothing but look at him. How silly of you. But she desired them to bring her robe of blue satin, to comb out her long hair and adorn it with the freshest garland of flowers, to give her her high-heeled shoes and her fan. Also, take care that my audience chamber is well swept and my throne well dusted. I wish, and everything to appear as becomes the fair one with golden locks. This done, she seated herself on the throne of ivory and ebony and gave orders for her musicians to play, but softly, so as not to disturb conversation. Thus, shining in all her beauty, she admitted Avenant to her presence. End of part one. To be continued. Oh boy, our first to be continued. Do you think you guys can wait a whole week to hear the rest of the story? If you just can't stand it, then go back and listen to a previous episode you missed, or one of your favorites. I'll see you next week, Junior Scholars. Until then, I am Sir Bradley Hassey. Be brave, be loyal, and speak the truth. Not for you parents out there. I want you to understand why we are doing this, what we are trying to achieve, and how you can help us. This is a rescue operation to preserve the classics and the wisdom within before it is lost forever. Our goal is to inspire children with a love of good reading by safeguarding and breathing new life into the greatest stories in history and empower you, the parents, with a resource you can trust to enrich your child's mind and spirit. We don't want these stories and the wisdom within to be forgotten, so our children don't have to learn these lessons on their own. The most important thing you can do for us is to spread the message and tell others about these stories and what we are doing. If you want to donate, we would love that as well. My promise is that 100% of donations will go to building the impact and quality of the Junior Classics. If you have feedback and thoughts on how we can do things better, please send an email to juniorclassicspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Junior Classics. Enjoy the composition of the week, Morning Mood, by Edvard Grieg of Norway in 1875. The piece was written for a play and depicts the rising sun as the hero of the story finds himself stranded in the Moroccan desert.